we're excited for what the Lord is doing. And I want to, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to the Tree of Life Church. As you can see, we are making more and more progress on our building, the construction of our new worship center. Every week, there will be more and more progress made. The progress this week has been that we have dug out the storm drains and we are preparing the parking lot that's going to be on the north side of the church. And the next thing we're going to do is prepare the parking lot that will be directly behind me. And then that will be in place so that when we start on the foundation, July 1st, the foundation of the worship center, we'll have a place to park. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So every week there's going to be something else happening. And, and if there's any change of traffic patterns or anything of that nature, we will be sure to communicate that with you so you can come with confidence knowing that all things are well and all things are progressing and all things are good. Amen. I just can't wait for that building to be uh, in place and us walk in there with shouting and rejoicing for the wonderful things God has done. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And it is made possible by your prayers, and it's made possible by your giving, and I thank you for that. And I encourage you to continue to give faithfully unto the Lord, and we're going to go through this process, and we, we give God the praise for it. Amen. And we're looking forward to the wonderful things in store. I do want to mention that it is a construction zone, and so uh, there's nothing quite as cool as a construction zone. Uh, but it's a construction zone complete with hazards and whatnot. So uh, we encourage all to steer clear and stay away from uh, the construction zone so that we don't have any uh, accidents. And uh, there's a reason why they make folks wear hard hats when, they, when they're just walking across a construction zone because accidents can happen. And we want to be sure and, and have everybody be safe and protected. But we give God the praise and the glory for what he is doing. Amen. And uh, I do want to say that a week from today, you don't want to miss it. We're going to be having a wonderful, wonderful time in the house of the Lord. It's a one-day revival, full-blown revival service on Memorial Day Sunday. And we know that there are a lot of people traveling on Memorial Day. And so for that reason, uh, for the holiday, we're going to have one service. And it'll be at 1030 a.m. So we're going to go kind of pre-COVID for Memorial Day Sunday, 1030 a.m. And I'm excited to worship with everybody. Amen. Now, I know I know that a lot of people will be out of town. But, but for those that are in town, we're just going to all come together and worship God and give him the praise and the glory. And we'll have a great time in the presence of the Lord. And it's going to be, we're going to enjoy the ministry of Evangelist Dylan Morgan. I'm excited for you to meet evangelist Dylan Morgan he and his wife Paris Dylan and Paris Morgan are going to be here they're crisscrossing the globe preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ you don't want to miss it many miracles the outpouring of the Holy Ghost it's going to take place a week from today and we're going to have a good time and a glorious time in the house of the Lord amen and we're looking forward to it uh, I'm going to invite your attention this morning to the book of Ezekiel chapter 36 it is Pentecost Sunday Pentecost Sunday and so we are, we are uh, wanting to take some time and reflect and, and re-emphasize and reiterate the power and the significance of this great day and the experience that it, that it uh, brings to us in the scriptures. Ezekiel 36, 
beginning with verse 24. And I'm also going to read from Luke 24 and Acts 2. I'm going to read from three passages of Scripture, but I'm going to read them uh, succinctly, so don't be scared. We're not going to be standing for too long. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart. I want you to hear this. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Luke chapter 24. And I, I, want, to, I want to concentrate our attention on a few verses from Luke 24, beginning with verse 44. Jesus makes a reference to the promise of the Father. And that's very key. Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And I want to read to you also from the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin with the first verse. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Sister Nia just quoted this. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My subject today that I would like to speak to you in your hearing is this. The promise of Pentecost. The promise of Pentecost. Can we just lift up our voices one more time and ask the blessing of God upon the, the, the service and the gathering of his people. Lord, I thank you for this day, this moment, the gathering of the precious people of God. I pray that your word will go forth and have free course. I pray that the anointing of God will settle upon your messenger as I attempt to preach your word. Help all of us to hear the word of the Lord, to receive it into our hearts, to live according to it. In the precious and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's basically giving them his schedule for the next foreseeable future. And he describes some things I just want to point out. 1 Kings 16, 
verse 5, he said, when I pass through Macedonia, and I do pass through Macedonia, I'm going to come to you. It may be that I will abide winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. He said, I will not see you by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. If the Lord allows me, I'd like to spend some time with you. He said, but for the time being, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. He said, at, at Pentecost, I have to leave Ephesus. And then he explains in verse 9, there is a great door and an effectual door that is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries at that door. It is an open door. It is an effectual door. But there are many adversaries. I think it's important to note, before we go any further, that some doors God opens to you, there are many adversaries to those doors. And just because there are adversaries doesn't mean it's not an open door. Sometimes we see the adversaries around the open door and we think God must not have opened this door. But it's, it's an open door. It's just that there are many adversaries. God will take you through whatever you need to go through. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, we, it's the same schedule that he had outlined to the Corinthian church. Now we read it in the actual historic uh, chronicling of the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 20, verse 16, the Bible says Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted. That's interesting. He hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So to the Corinthian church, he explained to them, listen, I'm going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. When Pentecost comes, I've got to go because there's an open door for me. There are many adversaries, but there is an open and an effectual door that is opened unto me. Acts chapter 20 and verse 16 gives us the, the background of that, that whole occasion. And said he had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. That's Asia Minor, Corinth, Ephesus. He would not spend the time in Asia. And the reason is because he hasted, if it were possible, to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now, there's a reason why Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It is because it is, a, it is such a momentous time in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Jews come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate what we call Pentecost, what, what the Greeks would call Pentecost, and what the Jews would call Shavuot. They come from all over the world. Now, this was significant to the Apostle Paul because of the fact that he had such a desire to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. Paul was Jewish. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was schooled and skilled in the law of Moses. And he wanted so much for the Jewish people to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ because he was confident that if they only could hear him explain it to them, they would see that it was foretold in the Old Testament all that Jesus would do in the New Testament because all that Jesus did in the New Testament was in fact foretold in the Old Testament. And so the Apostle Paul was just convinced if I can, if I can bring it to them, 
and he wanted, even if, even if the majority rejected it, he believed there would be some who would receive the word of the gospel. And so he hasted not to stay in Asia, but to go to Jerusalem specifically for the day of Pentecost. And, and so this was his objective. I, I, was, I was so grateful to have been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost about nine years ago. So I experienced that whole momentum of people coming in from all over the world and, and converging on Jerusalem. And I mean, everything else in the city came to an absolute standstill as people celebrated Shavuot or Pentecost, 50 days. The word Pentecost just means 50 days. It's 50 days following the Feast of Passover. And, and it is a celebration for the Jewish people of when Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai. So when Moses went up to the mountain and had communion with God and talked to God, and, and God gave his law to Moses, the Torah, this was, this was Pentecost or Shavuot. This was 50 days after that great feast of Passover. And, and this was the celebration of it when Moses experienced this and received this law from the Lord, it was momentous. Now, we look at those, that law, and the basis of the law, of course, is comprised of Ten Commandments, and that's what we call them, Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments, they kind of seem like common sense to us, you know, that killing is not a good thing, and stealing is not a good thing, and, and uh, committing adultery is not a good thing, and coveting what your neighbor owns or possesses and, and bearing false witness, which simply means to falsely accuse someone. These were all bad things. And God was telling the children of Israel, don't do these things. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. And he told them that they should work for six days and that on the seventh day they should take it as a Sabbath and it should be a day of rest. And he explained that they should honor their father and their mother. Now, now that's, all, that's all good stuff. That's all like really good life principle. Those are good life principles. But you'd be shocked at how much controversy they stir up in, in the world. Man, you try to go post those someplace and you're going to have a fight on your hands. People don't want to be told, don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. They really don't like to be told that. They don't like to be told don't covet what your neighbor owns or possesses. Don't covet what they own or possess. They really don't like to be told honor your father and mother and your days will be long upon the earth. And that whole Sabbath day, that whole Sabbath day thing, see, a lot of people love the part that says the seventh day thou shalt rest, but they don't like the part that says six days thou shalt labor. That's just as much a part of the commandment as is you shall take your rest on the seventh day because the Lord rested on, seventh, on the seventh day. And so there's a gift of Sabbath in the commandments of God. And, it, you know, the, the reality is that if a people were to truly embrace these commands, if they were truly to, to employ them in their lives, it would bring about such peace, such harmony among people if... If there was nobody killing, nobody stealing, and, and listen, don't kid yourself, it's not just killing that is against the law of God. It's hating that is against the law of God. 
And it's not just committing adultery that's against the law of God. It's looking and lusting that's against the law of God. And so, and this covetousness, if there was no covetousness, if people worked really hard for six days and then everybody rested and took time with their family on the seventh day, it's amazing what kind of peace there would be in our world today. But that's not, as much as people may not like those parts of those commandments, that's not the real reason they object. The real reason they object is the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what they have a problem with. That is the stumbling stone. And, and they don't ever want to get past that first commandment and, and acknowledge that all of these other commandments, none of them can be kept unless you truly have no other gods before him. If you try to have other gods before him, there's going to be killing, there's going to be stealing, there's going to be committing of adultery, there's going to be covetousness, there's going to be dishonor to parents. All of that's going to be in our society because if society rejects God, they reject the righteousness of God. And so, so it is that, that this was the law of God and he, he gave it to Moses and Moses gave it to the people and the people received the law of God. But when they, when they looked upon the law of God, it's with great appreciation that they received the law and so much so that even to this day there is tremendous celebration in Jerusalem over the fact that God gave to Moses the Torah the law it's a celebrated thing and again it seems like common sense today but you'd be shocked at how barbaric the whole world was before God put his law into the earth Man had fallen so far from God. In fact, in the days of Noah before the flood, the Bible says this about man. The thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And violence filled the earth. That's why the flood came. And so, and they were drinking and, and giving in marriage and marrying, which means there was a lot of promiscuity. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of recklessness. And, and God... God was going to destroy the whole earth and would have, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. It is hard to understand exactly how barbaric the world was. And, and the law of God came in like a, like a lightning bolt, like a thunderclap, and just, and just created this whole stumbling stone, if you please. It was literally inscribed in stone. And people had to crawl over this to do the, the, the evil that they wanted to do. God established what is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is evil. What is true and what is false. He established it in the earth. And man tried, but tried in vain to keep the law of God. All through the scriptures, the Old Testament, you see men and women trying. But their trying does not afford them any kind of success. They try to keep the law of God. They try to do everything God said. They try to keep his ordinances. They try to keep his statutes, but they fail. And they fail, and they fail again and again. They fail miserably when they try to keep the law of God. It, it became quite apparent that, that, that they were not going to be able to keep the law of God. And it became so apparent that, that their idea then was, since we can't keep the law of God, we'll pretend like we're keeping the law of God. We'll, we'll cover ourselves with the drapings of perfection. We'll wear long robes and, and make ourselves super spiritual and, and have people look upon us and give us great titles and make us feel like we're keeping the law of God. And we'll give them the impression that we're keeping the law of God. But inside, 
They were full of dead men's bones. And they weren't keeping the law of God in their hearts. They might have dotted some I's and crossed some T's, but there was no heart to serve God. They were still the broken man that fell in the Garden of Eden, and it was a problem. And so, so this was the relationship man had with the law of God. It's something, something important you need to hear about the law of God. Let me tell you what the Bible says about the law of God. It calls the law of God the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. Something else the Bible says in Psalm 19.7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. Now that's, that's some kind of perfection. Some kind of next level perfection. The law of the Lord is so perfect that it is able to convert the soul. Not the behavior, the soul. Or I should say not just the behavior because here's the thing. Once the soul gets converted, the behavior will soon follow. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The law of God is so perfect that when employed correctly, when enjoyed and embraced, it will get inside the invisible parts of you and begin to convert you to what God has called you to be. And the Lord will come in with a still small voice and begin to convert your desires into the right kind of desires. It won't be man standing over you with, a, with a, some kind of a rod of iron trying to force you into obeisance. It will, be, it will be the Lord of glory coming in as a still small voice nudging you in the right direction. And you'll, you'll begin to see that your soul magnifies the Lord. That your inner man, the hidden man of the heart, begins to desire the true things of God. That that, that that person on the inside of you is not having to be persuaded all the time to do what's right, but is persuaded to do what is right. What is that? That's the perfect law of liberty. That's the law of the Lord that is perfect and it converts the soul. So why was the law so complicated and why was it so difficult? And, and why was there always this, this kind of animosity between humankind and the law of God? The Apostle Paul explained to the church at Rome that the law was perfect. We get that from Psalm 19. We get that from the book of James. There are multiple witnesses that point to the fact that the law was perfect. And Paul says it too. The law was perfect. The problem was not with the law. The problem is with man. Because the law became weak as soon as it came in contact with man. Through the flesh, law became weak. As soon as I took the law and tried to employ it and embrace it and, and do the law, it became weak. It once was so strong and perfect. And, and then all of a sudden when I start trying to apply it, 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 it's, it's not strong because my flesh, my flesh is incapable of keeping the law. That is what the Old Testament struggled with over and over and over again. That's why when you open up this Old Testament, it is a, it is a shocking book. I mean, it's full of bloodshed and full of immorality and full of, I mean, heads are rolling and, and there's so many problems and issues and people are falling and failing and, and staggeringly so. I mean, it's shocking some of the things that they did. What was that? That was weak flesh trying to keep a perfect law and it simply being impossible. 
And what the law basically accomplished in the Old Testament was showing what is holy and what is unholy. Showing what is good and what is bad. Showing what is right and what is wrong. And so by, it's the law that showed us what our sin was. And we started looking around, and the law is exactly right. Because if you look around your life it, it, and you start seeing where things went wrong, it was in your sin. It was in all the things the law said not to do. That's where your trouble started. That's where everybody's trouble starts is when they start breaking the law of God. So there's a problem that people have. They just cannot keep the law of God, even if they manage. As the rich young ruler who told Jesus, I have kept all of the law from my youth until now. And Jesus said, oh, have you? Yes, I have. He said that I'm going to put that to the test. He said, I want you to sell everything you have, and I want you to give it to the poor. And what he revealed when the young man said, well, no, I'm not talking about doing that. I'm just talking about I'm better than everybody and he said no 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 see because because the law isn't just about what you don't do it's not just don't kill because you're not gonna take someone's life it's don't kill because you love so much you would never kill and so it, it's it, the law is not just about what you don't do the law is about what you do and, and so I want you to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And when the man refused, it revealed that he had kept the letter of the law, but he had totally misunderstood the spirit of the law. Man is incapable of wrapping his brain or his arms or his heart around the spirit of God's law. And God's law is a spiritual instrument. And it is that very spirit of his law that people struggle with and, and feel like they can should be able to, to accomplish his law with their flesh, you will never be able to accomplish his law with your flesh. And so this is a celebration in Jerusalem, Shavuot, Pentecost. Right now they're celebrating the, 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 the giving of Torah to Moses, the giving of law to Moses. And while, yes, it is a celebration, it is also a reminder of their inability and all of our inability to keep the law of God. Seeing that law so high, so holy, so uplifted, so exalted brings to our remembrance all of our failings and all of our shortcomings and all of our faltering. Anybody remember when you stumbled and, and faltered and, and, and every single one of us ought to be able to nod our head. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising my You don't have to raise your hand. But just, just kind of do this. And make sure nobody's looking and then do that. Because every one of us know what it's like to fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us know what it's like to violate his law and stand deserving of his judgment. And, and I don't know how to explain it, but when I deserved his judgment, he gave me his mercy. I don't know how to explain it, but when I deserved to be cut off, he reached for me and welcomed me in. What a mighty God we serve. God is great and greatly to be praised. God is so good. He's so good. No wonder we dance before him with all our might. No wonder we sing for joy and shout unto him with a voice of triumph. Because he's a mighty good God. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus was about to ascend. And before he did, he explained to his disciples that he wanted them to go to Jerusalem. And he wanted them to tarry there and wait for what he called the promise of my father. 
I will send you, he said, the promise of my father. But go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. God is going to put a promise inside of you. It was a promise that they were aware of. It was a promise that he was directly and specifically speaking about it is the promise of the father i'm going to send it to you you're going to go to jerusalem and you're going to wait for the promise of the father and it's going to endue you like a power from on high and i want you to know that the power that i'm going to speak to you of today it does come from on high it does not come from this world it will not come from a government agency it will not come from a political movement it will not come from from the opinion of the day. It will not come from popular conjecture or speculation. It will not come even from the best intentions of good people. It is a power that comes from on high. It comes from God and God alone. If you want it, you've got to see God for the power that comes from on high. And Jesus told his disciples to go and wait for the promise of the Father. It's coming. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Oh, praise his name. So I want to talk to you about the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is found in the Old Testament writings of the prophet Ezekiel that I read to you. There are many areas where this same promise is referenced. And there are many prophets who spoke to it. But I want to, I want to pay specific attention to what the prophet Ezekiel said in our text. Ezekiel 36 and verse 24. Because he gives to us in such vivid description exactly what the Lord promises he will do for his people. He says this, I will take you from among the heathen. Glory to God. That's where the promise starts. He said, I will take you from among the heathen. There is a part of this promise that involves us being brought out from among the heathen. Now, I know nobody likes to be called a heathen. But all of us were probably called a heathen once or twice by our mothers if no one else. When she said, stop acting like a heathen, what she meant was, stop acting like you don't have any sense. Stop acting like you don't know the difference between right and wrong. Stop acting like you don't know the difference between good and evil. Stop acting like a heathen. And what she's saying is, is that there is a way of rebellion, and it's a way that is practiced by the heathen, not by the saints. Not by those that love the Lord, those that serve the Lord. But we all get wrapped up in this world. And the heathens serve other gods. And the heathens serve themselves. And the heathens live a different kind of a lifestyle other than that that the Lord describes for his people. And so he said, to get this promise started, I have to call you out from among the heathen. And I want you to know that that's a real thing. God is going to call you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God is going to pull you up and out of every bondage that has ever held you in captive. 
Don't let the, the straight knot tie and the laced shoes and, and, the, and the pressed clothes of the person sitting next to you make you think that they've always been like that. You have to understand that they were once in a pit so low. They were once in a world so despondent. Don't let the fact that they worship God today, that they lift their hands today, make you think that it's always been that way. They remember the pit from whence they were dug. Can I get a witness from somebody that remembers what it was like when God called you out from among the heathen? Hallelujah. And you stepped away from a crowd that did not influence you in the right way. And you stepped away from people who tried to drag you down into a former lifestyle and a former way of thinking. And people that used to drag you down into destructive lifestyle choices. And God stepped in and said, I will call you out from among the heathen. And I know some people think, well, when they think of separation from the world, they think in terms of, oh, I'm going to have to separate from worldly pleasures. No, 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 no. No, you're separating from worldly sorrow. The pleasures, the pleasures, quote unquote, of the world are not pleasures at all. They're fake pleasures. They're, they're, false, they're false wannabe pleasures. They're not really pleasure. See, the identifying quality of a pleasure is it's longevity. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures of sin last for but a season. Oh, yeah. See, in his presence, it's a sustained peace. It's a sustained joy. It's a sustained confidence in God. But in the pleasures of this world that aren't pleasures at all, they're just trying to mimic the pleasures of God's presence. And, and, and what they'll do is they'll take you super high, and it'll last for a little while. It may be a few minutes. It may be for a few months. But then it's going to drop you so low. And the low that it goes... It, it's to the same extent that it went high. However high it went, that's how low it's going to go. And let's just hope you survive the fall because you're going to get busted up and broken down and knocked around and you're not going to know who you are by the time the pleasures of this world get are, are through with you. But my God said, my promise is, I will call you out from among the heathen. a merciful God. God who is rich in mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, if you're there today, if you're there today and you're down at the lowest bottom of the barrel, don't be discouraged. Look around. There's a great cloud of witnesses here that can say, yep, I've been where you are. And he picked me up and he turned me around and he placed my feet on a solid ground. He gave me peace and joy within. That's, that's the first promise. I will call you out from among the heathen. And, and people don't like to get called out. They don't like to get called out. And so that sometimes is a turnoff to people. Because you start talking about, oh, he's going to call you out from among the heathen. Like, did you just call me a heathen? I didn't come to church to get called a heathen. And so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of preachers won't even mention the word sin. 
Because it's because it's not very appealing to people. But it's sin that enslaves you. It's sin that's tearing your family apart. It's sin that's destroying your mind. It's sin that's destroying your future. It's sin that keeps you awake at night. It's sin that haunts you. I'm going to preach about sin. Because Jesus came to set his people free from their sin. Hallelujah. In order to let the promise begin, you've got to let him call you out from among the heathen. He said, I will call you out from among the heathen. I will gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. That's old. In the Old Testament, that was Jerusalem. In this new covenant, ladies and gentlemen, the new Jerusalem. He said, come let me show you the lamb's wife. We talk a lot about the lamb. And we should, because behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. But, but, but he said, let me show you the Lamb's wife. And he went and looked, and it was a great and holy city, the new Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you, that's the city that had foundations that Abraham was looking for, whose builder and maker is God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's the city that God is going to bring people from every Every country into the church. Hallelujah. He said, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness you shall be clean. Hallelujah. From all your idols will I cleanse you. Hallelujah. That's the second part of the promise is that I'm going to put water on you and I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness and I'm going to cleanse you from all your idols. I'm going to tell you something. You haven't lived a life so filthy that the blood of Jesus can't make you clean. You haven't lived a life so broken that the blood of Jesus can't put you back together again. You haven't lived a life so confused that the blood of Jesus can give you order and direction and wisdom. Hallelujah. I've come to let you know the promise of the Father is this. He's going to cleanse you from all filthiness. He's going to cleanse you from all filthiness. And so whatever you've got in your mind right now thinking, but I don't know that I could ever recover from this or from that. I want you to know you can because of the love of God. You can because of the blood of Jesus. You can because of the promise of the Father. Hallelujah. He shall sprinkle clean water upon you. Oh, won't he make you clean down inside down on the innermost part of you he will cleanse you and make you whole hallelujah I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you a lot of people's problems come from the idols they've served because the idols have different demands of people the idols have different expectations People have abased themselves just to satisfy the idols. And they live with regret and they live with condemnation. Idols that you don't even know were idols. But I want you to know that the idols may have eyes, but they can't see. They might have ears, but they cannot hear. They might have a mouth, but they cannot speak. 
speak. They might have hands, but they cannot heal. They might have feet, but they cannot walk. They don't know who you are. They don't know where you came from. And here you've lived your life in service and worship to them. But I can hear the promise of the Father saying, I'm coming with a cleansing power. And I'm going to cleanse you from every idol you've ever worshipped. I'm going to cleanse you from every false doctrine you've ever believed. I'm going to cleanse you from every heresy you ever taught. I'm going to cleanse you, cleanse you. I'm going to put water upon you. And I'm going to cleanse you from every idol. And from every filthiness of your flesh. And verse 26 says this. A new heart also will I give you. A new heart. A new spirit will I put within you. Did you hear that? He's going to give you a new heart. And he's going to give you a new spirit. That new heart. It's not the old heart. It's a new heart. And it's a new spirit. Notice what he says next. He said, I will take away the stony heart. Out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. This is the promise of the Father. I'm going to take out the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's actually giving you a heart of flesh. It's one of the few places in the Word of God where flesh is spoken of in a positive connotation. Normally, flesh is referring to this carnal nature. This flesh, this body that gets me in so much trouble that always wants to do something it's not supposed to do. And it gets me in trouble and I have a fleshly nature. But, but this is telling me that he's going to take out the stony heart out of my flesh and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. What it's talking about there is that he's going to remove what my heart became and he's going to replace it with what my heart was always supposed to be. Before it was ever hurt, before it was ever broken, God's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to give you that original heart that he always wanted you to have. That heart before you were betrayed. The heart before you were defiled. The heart before you were confused. The heart before you were dysfunctional. The heart before your life was broken down. God is going to give you a new heart and he's going to put a new spirit in inside of you this is the promise of the father he said i'm going to take out the stony heart that word that term stony heart means hardened heart i'm going to take out the hardened heart you know how hearts get hardened they get hardened because when they break and they do break they're very fragile when they break we don't take them to god to have them healed we try to heal them on our own and when we try to heal them on our own they don't heal right and they callous over instead of being healed and there's scar tissue that begins to develop and the heart that is supposed to be full of love and life and peace and joy and hope and faith and goodness and gentleness instead is covered over with calluses and scar tissue scar tissue that won't allow you to love anybody else because your love was broken won't allow you to trust anybody else because your trust was shattered am I preaching to anybody this morning scar tissue that won't allow you to walk confidently into life again because of whatever it was that broke your heart and oh yeah you coped with it and oh yeah you dealt with it but you never were truly healed by the power of God but the promise of the father says I'm going to take out that stony heart and I'm going to give you a new heart I'm going to give you a new heart 
Hallelujah. Notice what he said in verse 27. He said, and I will put my spirit within you. See, earlier he said, I'm going to put a new spirit. But in verse 27, he identified what spirit he was going to put in. He said, my spirit. Hallelujah. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, we're not talking about just any it's kind of a spiritual reference or terminology. We're talking about his spirit. And when he said, I will put my spirit within you, he's talking about his very spirit. He himself is going to come inside of us. That's the promise of the Father. My favorite part, though, is right here, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you, and notice this, and cause you to walk in my statutes do you see and understand how beautiful that is because the all of the old testament that was the issue they couldn't walk in his statutes they couldn't live up to his expectations they could not live according to the perfect law of god but he said i'm gonna call you out from among the heathen I'm going to cleanse you from your filthiness. I'm going to cleanse you from your idols. I'm going to put a new heart inside of you. I'm going to put in my, my spirit. I'm going to put within you. And I'm going to cause you. I'm not just going to request it of you. I'm not even just going to command you. I'm going to get inside of you and cause you to walk in my statutes and my judgments to do this. That's the promise of the Father that Jesus was referring to when he told his disciples, go tarry in Jerusalem because the Father's promise is here. It's coming to pass. And you wait there until you be endued with power from on high. And that power from on high is the Holy Ghost. And it's going to come inside of you and it is the Spirit of God. It's going to take away the broken, calloused, scarred heart that you've had and had all of these issues fester in. It's going to remove that heart and it's going to give you a heart of flesh and he's going to cause you he's going to cause you to do something you never were able to do on your own you're going to walk like you didn't used to be able to walk you're going to talk like you didn't used to be able to talk you're going to live like you didn't used to be able to live you're going to be able to love folks who hate you you're going to be able to oh my god i feel the holy ghost i said you're going to be able to love folks who hate you you're going to be able to love so much that you won't commit adultery did you hear what i said you're going to love your spouse so much because the love of god is going to be so present inside of you and the love that Christ has for his church that you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. <laughs> Hallelujah. He will cause you to walk in his statutes. He will cause you to love your neighbor as yourself. He will cause you to live an overcoming life. Because when you sit back in your flesh and you look at that high and holy and sacred and perfect law that says don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. You look at it and think, I mean, who's he talking to? Because that's the stuff I struggle with every day. And I fall and I stumble and I stagger. But this Bible tells me that the Spirit of my God is going to come down on the inside of me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit and cause me. To keep his judgments 
Hallelujah. Oh, oh, did you think that good you were doing was you doing it? You thought that? No, no, that's, if, if you're doing it, then to you be the glory. But that's not who we praise. To God be the glory. Hey, let me tell you something. If you see any arrogance or ignorance or sarcasm or, or confusion or brokenness in me, that's, that's Joel. That's the old man. But if you see anything good or, or holy or faithful come from me, that's not Joel. That's Jesus. He's on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. It's because of the power of his name and the power of his spirit and the power of his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and that didn't just mean that the day arrived on the calendar and everybody showed up. No, no, no. The day of Pentecost was fully come. That means every other day of Pentecost was all pointing to this one. Even when Moses got the law in Sinai, was pointing to this one. And when this day of Pentecost was fully come. Now every other year the day of Pentecost had come. But this year the day of Pentecost had fully come. And they were all with one accord in one place. Hallelujah. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they they were all filled, filled, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. What Spirit? His Spirit. It filled them. It got down into their hands and into their feet. It got into their mind. It got into their tongue. It got into the way they thought. It got into the way they acted. It got into the way they spoke. It got into the way they dressed. It got into where they would go, what things they would attend. It got into the way they treated people. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yes, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Devout Jews out of every nation came by. One, one half of the group did not speak multiple languages, and they looked at all these people speaking in other languages, and they said, oh, I've seen this before. They're drunk. And, and the other group spoke multiple languages, and they said, wait a minute. We hear these men speaking the languages wherein we were born. And they're Galileans. They don't know these languages. Parthians, they're speaking the language of the Parthians and the Medes and the Persians and the Elamites and, and the Arabians and the Cretans. We hear, we hear them of Pamphylia and Phrygia. You know, the Parthians, that's reaching all the way into China. There were people out of China in the upper room who were Jewish in their, in their lineage but were living in China and had made their way to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they're standing there listening to these people speak in the language that they knew and said, we don't even understand how this is happening. Peter stood up and said to the crowd that thought they were drunk, these men are not drunk as you suppose. 
seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Then he looked at the crowd that could speak multiple languages and said, but, but this, you asked what meaneth this? Let me tell you what this means. This is that. Woo, hallelujah. This is that. He went back to the prophet Joel. When that old, he's one of my favorite minor prophets, one of my favorite prophets ever. That old minor prophet stood up in his second chapter and said, it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. He said he spoke it back then. That's what's happening right now. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he proceeded to preach Jesus to them. He preached Jesus. We are so blessed to be able to preach Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Peter didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He, they were standing there. But he, didn't have, he wasn't able to, to point to the books they had written just yet. And so he had to go to the Old Testament and preach Jesus from the book of Joel. And preach Jesus from the book of Psalms. And preach Jesus from David. And he did it. He preached the death. He preached the burial. And he preached the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ from the Psalms. And he concluded his message by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom ye have crucified. See, he didn't pull any punches. He didn't try to be politically correct because he was afraid they'd all leave the upper room if he didn't try to pander to their feelings. No, he brought it to them. You crucified him. And God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto him and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they had just learned they had crucified the long-awaited Messiah. <laughs> For years they had heard, until Shiloh come, until Shiloh come, until Shiloh come. Well, Shiloh came and they crucified him. They kept hearing, Messiah come, come Messiah, Messiah come, come Messiah. Messiah came and they nailed him to a tree. And Peter persuaded them on that message on the day of Pentecost. That they had by wicked hands crucified him and slain him. And they were shocked and they were stricken. And they said, men and brethren, their question of what shall we do was a question of desperation. It wasn't a casual, okay, well then what do I do? What do I got to do? It wasn't that. It was desperation. We're lost. We've lost everything. Our hope is gone. We have no hope and we're completely helpless. What shall we do? Acts 2.38 Probably the, one, one of the most powerful words in this whole verse is the very first one, then. Because it doesn't happen until somebody says, what shall we do? If you don't say to God, what, what shall I do? God can't tell you what to do. He stands at the door and he knocks, but somebody's got to let him in. Somebody's got to open the door and say, come on in, God, and give me hope and give me help and strengthen me and show me the way. When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. 
See, he goes back to the prophecy of Ezekiel. See, the plan of salvation outlined in the prophecy of Ezekiel. How does it start? How does the promise start? It starts like this. I will call you out from among the heathen. Repent. It doesn't start without repentance. Call you out from among the heathen. Are you ready to walk away from among the heathen? Are you ready to step away from the lifestyle of the heathen? Are you ready to walk away from your bad behavior, your sinful ways? Hey, I'm not, listen, I'm no better than you. I'm only here because God was merciful to me. I said, I'm no better than you. I'm here because God was merciful. And I'm only preaching because I know he wants to be merciful to you. Repent. He'll call you out from among the heathen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins or the washing away of sins. He continues with Ezekiel's pattern in Ezekiel 36. I will call you out from among the heathen. And I will put water upon your uncleanness. I will put water upon the filthiness of your flesh. I will sprinkle water upon you. Now, now he used the word baptize. That's baptizo. Sprinkling is not baptizo. Baptizo is immersion. Hallelujah. We are immersed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. He said, I will cleanse you with water from your idols. I will cleanse you with water from the filthiness of your ways. I will wash you and make you clean. I will cleanse you. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the rest of Ezekiel's prophecy. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to keep my judgments. I will cause you to do them. <laughs> this is why somebody can, somebody can be laying in the, in the desperation of their own sin and degradation and not know how to, how to get up and walk on their own. And they stumble over every little lust of their flesh. And they fall and they falter over every little whim of temptation that comes their way. And that's all of us without the blood of Jesus. That's all of us without the Spirit of our God. That's humanity without the Spirit of the Lord. But thank God that He'll call us out from among the heathen. Thank God that he'll cleanse us from the filthiness of our ways. Thank God that he'll put a new heart in us and he'll put his spirit and he'll cause us. And all of a sudden you start walking with God. Here's something you're going to find out about the Holy Ghost. There will be times that your flesh will still want to do something wrong and the Holy Ghost will just stop it. I'm telling you, God will give you so much victory, the devil gets desperate. And he starts trying to condemn you for a temptation, not even a sin. He'll come up to you and say, you're tempted to do something. That means you're evil, you're bad, you're wicked. I rebuke that accuser in Jesus' name. God called you out from among the heathen. God cleansed you from your filthiness. You have power over that temptation. You let the Holy Ghost give you power over that temptation. 
Don't you let the devil lie to you for one more day. God has given you the victory. His victory is in his blood. The victory is in his name. The victory is in the spirit of our God. Somebody lift your hands and receive it in the name of Jesus. Lift up your hands and receive it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the promise of Pentecost. It's the promise of the Father. It's what we're celebrating today. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's stand to our feet and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's stand to our feet and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, praise his name, praise his name, praise his name. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name is to be praised. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I want you to know that these altars are open and you don't have to wait for nothing. You can come to the front of this house and seek the face of God and say, Lord, I believe it is your promise that I be victorious. I believe it is your promise that I be cleansed and made whole. I believe that I can overcome my past. I can overcome the mistakes and failures of my past. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Just like the day of Pentecost, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Just like the day of Pentecost, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. (laughs) That's it. Just lift that praise unto the Lord. Come on, somebody in faith believing. There are some and there are more. That's it. That's it. Come on, bring it to God right now. And say, Lord, I believe your word. I believe your word. Oh, hallelujah, 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 Woo! hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, that's it, that's it. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, if you know what I'm talking about, come on down and let the Lord touch you right now. Let him bless you right now.
wants to pour out his spirit this morning in a mighty way. Hallelujah. If you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost this morning. If you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you need a brand new touch from God, you can experience that today. Here's what I want us to do. Everybody in this house, everybody in this house, we're going to start singing in a moment. But, but all over this house, I want us to lift our hands to God and I want us to repent. I want us to do exactly what Peter taught. Repent, every one of us, in the name of Jesus. Pray it the way you need to pray it. But the prayer you're praying is, Lord, I turn. I turn from my wicked ways. I turn from my sins. I turn from everything that's not like you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for the things I've committed that were not of you. Lord, wash me and cleanse me. Every single one of us need this right now. Come on, in the name of Jesus. You pray it the way you need to pray it, but pray these prayers. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I need you to forgive me today. I am sorry for the life I've lived that's not been pleasing to you, for the things I've done that are against your will, that are against your word. Lord, your word tells me that you will cleanse me, and I believe your word, and I pray that you will cleanse me today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you'll give me strength to turn from my wicked ways. God, I turn from everything that's not like you, and I give myself completely to you. Come on, that's it. You go ahead and do that for a little while. You go ahead and do that for a little while. Go ahead and do that for a little while. There's something beautiful that happens when we repent from our sins. There's something beautiful that takes place when we turn from our wicked ways. Lord, I turn from every wicked way that's not like you, God, and I give myself completely to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Now I want you to begin to praise him with all of your heart. Hallelujah, go ahead and begin to praise him with all of your heart. Because God can fill you with the Holy Ghost right now. God can fill you to overflowing with the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, all across this building. Let God do something new and fresh and powerful.
Ghost this. I need you to put your hands together and your feet on the floor. Come on, we're going to praise him.